Not doing this 19 times. Give me the page, or I kill Katie. Uh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Arjun Gupta. I play Penny on Sci-Fi's and the Magicians. And welcome to the Coffee Clatch Podcast. Get ready for a wild ride. The Coffee Clatch Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring magic back into our lives with episode nine, Cello, Squirrel, Daffodil. Written by Stephanie Goggins and directed by Tanya McKiernan, IMDb is giving this a 9.1, our first 9 rating from IMDb for the season. The critics say, although this week's episode of The Magicians was disjointed as hell, with stories shooting off in completely different directions, each arc gave us plenty to sink our teeth into, and the news that season 5 would end the series added a certain amount of urgency to our enjoyment of this installment. The desperation of the characters in this episode therefore became our own desperation as we witnessed this build-up to the show's swan song. Approaching this episode now knowing definitively that this is the last season, at least on sci-fi, made me appreciate it even more. And I know it's cliche to say, but you really... That old saying, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. I think this is very similar, that feeling. Every quote, every joke means a little more because you know you're not going to get more of those next year. No, we do have to start out by talking about this news because it's a huge bomb drop. Sci-Fi announced that the current fifth season of the show will be its last. Off the podcast, Jason, you and I had discussions about this. I was feeling a little nervous after the season four finale and them killing Quentin off, which was a huge creative risk and wondering where they would go from there. At that point, I was concerned, but I still had confidence in the show because they had done so much to build up the rest of our characters, the plot lines. We still had a lot of meat left on the bones. But the first half of this season got me a little bit nervous. It felt a lot more slow moving. I wasn't quite sure where they were going with it. I got really excited a couple episodes ago when they started to bring in more book material that we hadn't seen from The Magician's Land. But I also started thinking, oh my goodness, are they wrapping this story up? Is that what's going on here? And sure enough, very shortly after we get this notification now, As you mentioned, there is still the possibility they have been shopping around to other networks. We're talking about Gamble and McNamara. But it sounds like they are prepping themselves for an end of the show, and that is a strong likelihood. We want to be realistic about where we see it going. Absolutely. I think it was around episode four or five. We started to think about, okay, if we don't hear soon, because we've learned in the past, this is about the latest that we've gotten news that they've been greenlit for new season. Then with the knowledge that it's sci-fi, and sci-fi isn't known for doing long-term shows to begin with, never mind more than five seasons. This is one of their longest, correct? I think there's two other shows off the top of my head that had five, but that's it. Mm -hmm. And the reason being, this these types of shows, the longer you go, every new season costs more for the network. And you reach that point where the cost starts quickly approaching how much they make. And then it's really up to sci-fi to say, do we take a gamble with next year having to pay everyone more, give them more of a budget, or do we just let go now and start a new show where it's first year deals, so you know no one's making that much money and they can really, even if the show isn't that popular, they still end up making money. Yeah, and the viewership is a reality for them. 
just as a point of reference, so far this season five is averaging around 415,000 viewers per episode in that key adult 18 to 49-year-old demographic. But the show peaked in terms of audience size in season two, which averaged just under 900,000 viewers. So if the network's looking at it from a number standpoint, that is a very big drop-off. And in fact, they interviewed Gamble and McNamara about it. They were talking of the logistics on this. Yes, and we got this interview via Twitter that day on Twitter. The amount of clatchers letting us know the trending of hashtag the magicians. Twitter was on fire with news about the magicians ending. And one of the articles was an interview with them from TV Insider. And we're going to give you little excerpts. But if you want to read the whole thing, you can check it out on Twitter at CKC Podcast. In that interview, Gamble said, We had the sense going into this season that sci-fi, in particular as our first platform, was kind of hitting that point of the cup is full and there's no more room. Then McNamara said it's not going to necessarily expand in terms of revenue, but it's also going to cost more. So they shopped around to some different networks or sources as potentials, and he said none of them seemed in the end like a perfect financial or creative fit. And so we reluctantly just decided, well, at least we have this season finale that was crafted to also be a series finale. It was kind of always going to pull double duty. So they've done some of that shopping around and it's not looking good. And I think they do need to, ahead of time, kind of make that creative decision. You could probably still keep the door open a little bit, but you have to give an end to the storyline, right? Yeah, what I'm hoping is this is strategic on Gamble and McNamara's end. I think they did definitely do some shopping, but the numbers weren't good. The offerings weren't good. And I think, I'm hoping, that they were waiting for Sci-Fi to announce that they were no longer going on to a new season. And Twitter and the social networks, these guys, I mean, we, we've interviewed a lot of the characters there. They talk about how much the fandom loves the magicians. So I'm guessing that they are betting on all of the viewers' passion for the show, the uproar on the internet, on Twitter, to then again shop it out <clears throat> and say, now you know we're worth a little more. And maybe then we'll hear in a couple months that they're greenlit somewhere like Netflix. I say Netflix because one, Christine and myself love Netflix. If you're Patreon members, you know how much we love Netflix. We talk about it all the time. But also, Gamble already has a show, you, on Netflix. It's a really, really good show. Netflix, of course, knows the numbers, knows how well it's doing. And I'm sure they're willing to bet on Gamble with another show. To that point... On Twitter, we have a link to the change.org petition for Netflix to pick up the series. And what's really cool is first time ever doing this. You can go on Twitter, at CKC Podcast. You click on it. You put in your name and you sign the petition, basically. We get emailed every time someone signs the petition (laughs) from our link. It doesn't say who it is, so it's not like you don't have privacy. It just says, thank you again. Because of your contribution and your links, we have more added to the list. And that list is growing, and I hope that just adds to the pressure of Netflix believing in the magic. Well, but as far as the ending to this show on sci-fi, the network released a statement saying, The Magicians has been a part of our sci-fi family for five fantastic seasons. As we near the end of this journey, we want to thank John McNamara, Sarah Gamble, Henry Alonso Myers, Lev Grossman, and our entire brilliant cast, crew, writers, and directors for their beautiful creation. Most of all, we thank the fans for their tremendous support and passion. Because of you, magic will be in our hearts forever. And ahead of the news breaking, TV Insider spoke with Gamble and McNamara. 
and they said they hope the show's vibrant and fearlessly vocal fandom will carry on the lessons we've learned during our time at Break Bills University. I like that. What was interesting about that TV Insider interview is McNamara and Gamble were talking about how they pretty much, I would say probably 70% knew while they were filming that this is it. And even the cast had an idea and there were some tears shed sometimes. And they are saying that the season, well now series finale, was written where it could be the actual final episode and we won't be upset. Mm -hmm. But also there will always be room for more magic. And I'm hoping so. I'm concerned about that statement and I can't say too much without giving away book knowledge. So I want to come back just to a brief conversation about this when we get to the spoiler section to do slightly more conjecture without giving away to you, Jason, any major plot lines moving forward. Okay. The way I saw it was, again, business. If they said, yes, we, we tied it up in a great bow, it's done. They'll probably lose any momentum to go to another. Right. Of course they need to say that. Creatively, artistically, they talk often about how they're not a direct translation of the books. They are a true adaptation. Even if you know the source material as I have, I'm constantly surprised because they remix it. They take ideas and find a new way to explore it. They take stuff that belonged to one character, for instance, Quentin, who we no longer have, and are now giving it to other characters such as Penny. So that's really exciting. And Gamble and McNamara often say that Lev Grossman created this amazing world that you could create thousands of stories out of, kind of like Game of Thrones. But there is one big sort of overall arc. And it's hard for me to imagine closing that out in a way that feels satisfying while also leaving it open to more show stuff that I care about in the future. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it makes sense. You're saying they better not leave such and such out that was in the book as a just in case. You want it shown there. But also at the same time, you're worried if they have no more book, will it be as good? No, not even that for the second part. The first part, absolutely. But if they close it out satisfyingly, will I still be interested in additional show stuff? Okay. So that's, that's a really fine line to walk. And it sounds like that's exactly what they've been pondering. How do we do that? Yeah. And that makes for a tough season to write. Yeah, not easy. Now, I've had some difficulties with episodes prior to now. But getting into our conversation about episode nine... I was blown away. This is the first time I've said that this season. It feels like a true return to form of the story I fell in love with. I absolutely love this episode. And I agree with you. The beats felt familiar. The twists at the end were like, oh, shit, how did I not see that coming? That's awesome. Now I'm more, even more intrigued. I want to know this, this, and this. And then the adventure. Oftentimes we see an adventure unfolding on the magicians that we weren't you know, even expecting or thinking was going to happen the episode prior. But then in that adventure, you're like, wow, this is really fun. I'm glad they did this. To be completely honest, there were a few adventures, quote unquote, that they went on earlier this season that, but why did they even do that? That didn't even help the storyline. This time, and I'm speaking specifically about Penny and Plum, I did not see them going through a time traveling adventure, but I absolutely loved it. It felt so fun to me. It felt a little bit like old school Doctor Who, wibbly wobbly. There's a thing that we're going to discuss later that I really love. So that's my long-winded say, way of saying I agree. <laughs> yeah. And Stephanie Goggins, who wrote this episode, is a new writer to the show. Yet it felt like familiar writing. There was something earlier on in the season about portions of the writing 
the way it was directed, where there were some missed beats. It wasn't quite what you know about the magicians. And yet this one was, so kudos to her. She really gets the tone and the direction of the story. It was interesting that the characters we have had seemed to be pairing off and narrowing down to larger groups of more of our magicians in two set locations of Earth and Fillory. Mm-hmm. Yet this one opens it back up. We're doubled up on a bunch of different characters. A bunch of different storylines are opening up. You're going, I can't believe this is episode nine in the season. This feels more like a starter. And yet I see the overall direction defining itself more clearly. It's just really great how they've managed to do that. Magicians at its finest. Now I want to say, and we shouldn't do this. I don't like to, in a podcast, be apologetic or extra careful. But I want to make sure that people understand that when we are being critical of this show, especially this show, we love this show to its core. It's a part of our being. So we're critical, like, you know, old school Star Wars fans were. If you did something a little bit off and you're, you're like, well, I didn't really like that. In regards to this season, it's not our favorite in the magician's world. But that doesn't mean we are not enjoying ourselves. It's measuring up against itself. Well, I think what we choose to do for the podcast sort of speaks for itself in that regard. We don't cover a million different TV shows. Mm-hmm. And we don't necessarily just follow what's big at the time, even though some of our shows are pretty big shows, Game of Thrones, Westworld. Two of the standouts for me have been Mr. Robot and the Magicians that almost on a moment's notice, we watched them and were so in love with them that we said, we just have to start podcasting and talking about this right now because we want to create a community. We want to share those thoughts with other people. So to wrap this long-winded thing up, I just want to say The Magicians has been such a spectacular community. Even if this season does wind up being the last, we've had such a great time talking to all of you about this show and enjoying it together. And we still have four more episodes left, so a lot could really happen in that time. Absolutely. So thank you, Clatchers, for going on the magic ride with us, and we hope that you follow us through everything else. And if Magicians comes back on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, you know we will be covering it. And a reminder, in solidarity, I guess, uh, don't forget there's free CKC wallpaper on our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com, Breakbills University alumni. It feels even more valuable now. So go check that out. On the homepage, scroll down a little bit, you'll see it says free wallpapers. But Christina, before we go into the episode, fun fact from that same article we found out what episode the musical was going to be. Oh, yeah. That's what McNamara really wanted to talk about, right? That was his episode. <laughs> episode 12 will be a musical heist episode. Now, are you shocked that this is the penultimate episode that they're doing the musical for? I was, especially considering now the news that it's the last season. But McNamara says that it actually sets the spike for a lot of what you're going to see in the finale, emotionally. Every song in the musical episode comes out of some kind of emotional inner turmoil and really drives the plot and the characters forward. That's going to be interesting, and I do have more thoughts about it, or at least we can conjecture because we know the episode titles from here till the finish. But again, just in case people don't want to know that, we're going to save it for the spoiler section. For now, let's move into episode nine and first talk new faces, places, and magic. To start, we met George, a man who turns out to be the couple. Or at least we think. Now, this is difficult. Is the couple actually two people and George is one part of that? Is there another meaning for the word couple that we don't yet know? 
Is George lying about his identity? A lot is up in the air that we haven't resolved as far as what he wants from this. What does he intend to do with the world seed? Is it an evil plan? There's a lot of directions that could go. Yes, but more importantly, we just learned about him last episode, and he's already very interesting to us, and I think that's what's important. Mid-season, you just learn about some new character you didn't even, knew, you didn't even know was going to be a bad guy. You thought you already had the layout of the season. New bad guy, and we do care about it. And he's intriguing, the magic he provides, and the fact that it's Jeff Arend, who we know from Super Troopers. The schnozberries taste like schnozberries. I love the fact that he's in it. I think his intelligence goes a long way towards this. The fact that he was able to get over on Alice. I say that loosely. He didn't really. We find out she's done this, what, 18 times? And she comes to that conclusion every single time, which is really pissing him off. But I certainly didn't see that coming. There was a point where Alice starts to talk about her suspicions. Could this really be coincidence that this very book is the one that we have the page for about the world seed? Mm -hmm. But you still don't know what that's going to mean, that they're in a matrix type of situation. There's a lot we don't know and a lot we shouldn't trust, meaning our eyes. We learned that he fooled us. We thought we were at the library. We weren't. May I go as far as, and this is complete conjecture, maybe that's not even Katie. No, I've thought that. Because they are a couple, right? The couple. So maybe that's the other couple. Right. I agree. I think that's a, a brilliant thought. And also that George probably doesn't look how George is presenting himself to us. Why would everything else be an illusion, but this is actually who the couple is? This man standing before us? Yeah, There's you never know. There's got to be some twisty craziness happening. First of all, I would really love if that isn't Katie. Because <clears throat> I would explain a little bit more of how they got there. When were they trapped? She was kind of the initiator for that, right? Saying, I've got this friend that I've reached out to, being George. Yeah. But that was all in the dream, dream state. Even that, don't believe that either. Well, right, but it's a hook. Oh, I see what it's you're saying. It's the initial hook to Alice. It's, it's all begun here. So that might not have been Katie literally the entire time. Yeah. It was a little weird. We were saying to ourselves, wait, where has she been? How did she come back into the storyline? And she's with Alice now. So we're missing pieces. And how does the couple know about Katie? She wasn't around during that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and also Katie, right at the end, as Alice is starting to figure it out with the sandwich, She's the one pushing it, saying, it could not be a trap. As exciting as that all is, it's still not the big reveal of the episode. That comes in the form of our next face. Not really new, but we didn't know the full identity. It turns out the Dark King is Rupert Sebastian Chatwin. I was blown out of my seat. I thought that was awesome. We had done a ton of speculating on the identity of the Dark King. Anything from it's Quentin's child to... He's related to the McAllisters. We'll come back to that in a moment. But one of our biggest thoughts was that he could be a Chatwin. We'd gone through all the options. It can't be Martin as the Beast. He's gone. It can't be Jane. Well, that would really only leave Rupert. But how does that all figure in? We thought he was dead. We saw a gravestone. So we kind of got off of that train of thought. It turns out it is him. And we're going to talk more about the logistics on that in our closer look. But also we got two return characters that are fleshed out a lot more for us now than they were in the past. The first one is Hyman Cooper. As a recap, because my memory was a little bit fuzzy on this, 
He's a student from the 1920s who is nicknamed the pervert ghost of breakbills because as a traveler, he practiced astral projection around the campus to places like women's bathrooms. As a prank, someone moved his body during one of those projections and he couldn't get back to his body, so he died. The timeline of that is going to become important in this episode. We also saw the return of Lance Morrison, Rupert Chatwin's friend and secret love from the war who attended breakbills in the 1940s. He died because of a Code 7, as they told us back in that episode, which is a student suicide or magical explosion. At least, that's how it was listed. We see the truth is, he currently haunted the West Dorm. And in the vision Penny sees, where this is being replayed, Lance's father comes in, telling Lance he sullied the McAllister name, and he can't blame the truth key for all of this. So he chokes Lance to death and takes the key. Now, an important piece of information there I had forgotten, Lance is, in fact, a McAllister. Ah. His mother was on the board of trustees. That's right. So it does come into That's play. how it all comes back around. So we were close, but so far. Mm. This is one of the many things I really enjoyed about this episode and very Dr. Whovian, not just the time travel. It's the fact that deep-rooted storylines that we thought were long and gone all of a sudden are right back into play. There's something about your brain when it's able to pick up on a a memory from years ago about the same show, it makes everything that character is saying at the moment that much more important in your brain because it's picking up memories. And it's like, oh my God, yes, we remember this. This is really important. And that's part of the fun that I always had with Doctor Who before they ruined it. (laughs) Sorry. Um, so again, yeah, that's, that I, that's why I truly enjoyed this episode. Yeah, but more fully fleshed out because at the time we were thinking, well, Rupert's dead. This is a tragic moving storyline, but it's all in the past. It doesn't relate to our current circumstance. In fact, it does. On to new magic. We see the time bridge, which is a time travel machine that earlier Dean Fogg gives to Penny and Plum that contains a temporal compass, allowing them to adjust their destination. Love it. We also learn about totems, items that are used by remedial travelers to help them better picture their destination. In regards to the totems, what I really enjoyed is that it makes sense in your head. If magic was real, that would be a real thing that travelers who are learning would need to utilize. And especially with this show, what we love about it is magic almost feels like it can be real because they're very realistic with it, if you can say that. The pain that it comes with, how difficult it is, It's not just a wave of the wand. You know what this reminded me of? In Harry Potter, when they're learning to apparate, sometimes in that story, magic feels easier, but sometimes it's difficult. It's a thing they have to learn. For apparition, they have to take a weeks-long course where an instructor comes in and they learn how to do it. There are dire consequences. If it's done incorrectly, they can splinch themselves, lose whole parts of their body in the process. Hmm. And the reason for that is that the biggest part of the process is them being able to clearly picture where they're trying to travel to in their minds, right? Remember Wilkie Twycross, the three Ds, destination, determination, deliberation? Yes. It feels like a very similar thing here. You got to be able to picture that location to get there effectively. And some sort of item that reminds you of that has to make that easier. Well, and finally, we get the tongue twisters. According to Fenn, a Florian insect that lives on the edge of the burnt river, it burrows into your ear and can cause symptoms like a stroke. This is a terrifying creature. I mean, sometimes it's played for laughs in the episode, 
because it's Christopher Plover. But when their doctor friend started saying there were thousands of them running all down his spinal column, oh, I don't like it. <laughs> it feels <clears throat> weird when our bird just walks on our back. Well, and the actuality of what it does to you, you're completely disoriented. You know what you want to say, but nothing is coming out right. It's like word salad. They do this thing with Christopher Plover where they manage to make us feel very conflicting emotions. He's a bad person. So characters like Margot are doing things and saying, well, he deserves that. But at the same time, he's also a human and stuff like that happening just makes your skin crawl. You don't want to see it. I like the complexity they've managed to build into him. And it's many seasons later that we're kind of playing out that story, but I'm not bored by it. It doesn't feel like a repeat. Not at all. Well, let's move over to our synopsis. As we mentioned, we have four groups of characters to cover. Penny and Plum, Alice and Katie, Margot and Fenn, Julia and Elliot. We'll start off with our personal favorite, Penny and Plum. We open up with them in Break Bill's current time, 2020. Penny knocks over a statue, and he sees the plaque that comes off of it says, Winner, 198th Annual Welters Games, Quentin Coldwater, Physical Team. And that just hits us right in the heart. It's kind of a brief but touching emotional moment that Penny apologizes to Quentin for breaking it. Yeah, but then goes all Penny on him. Well, yeah, and we don't hold on it because Plum is suddenly transported into the room and doesn't realize that she's been gone three weeks. We did. (laughs) We were wondering. As Lipson, who's back now, and okay, by the way, determines that there's nothing wrong with Plum, she shares with Penny the only thing she remembers about the time she was gone was being in a room with no windows or doors or anyone else around. While he knows it's dangerous, Penny thinks the only solution is to travel back there. Kind of what we said many episodes ago, (laughs) find out more information. She is nervous and thinks the Chatwins have messed up enough of Penny's life. But he explains they aren't all bad. In fact, Jane was incredible. So he teaches Plum she only needs to picture the room in order to get there. He tattoos her so she can take him along and starts teaching her to practice by traveling from one side of the room to the other. Into a chalk circle. Weren't they trying to apparate into a hoop? In the book? In Harry Potter? In Harry Potter. You may be right. I love the similarities (laughs) there because we always say this is kind of a dark version of Harry Potter. What tripped me up is how well... Penny drew that circle. It was a perfect circle, and it was freehand, and it was large. I know. You know how hard it is to draw a circle. Yeah, I wonder if that was all him. I, the second time I watched it, I, I tried to look closely, but they changed the camera angles, and then before you know it, he's done. Okay, so you can't really tell. You can't. But it was a good fucking circle. Yeah, I won't <laughs> psychoanalyze, because I don't want to upset Arjun. <laughs> but also, I love that Plum says to him... When you actually want to, you're a really good teacher. This is the most I've learned from you all semester that you've been teaching a class for us. And then we have this great oh shit moment where it seems like she effectively travels them from one side of the room to the other, no problem, but the chalk circle is gone. And we realize the distance is right, but the time is October 1998. Hey, where's everybody going? Dean Shiring got dial-up in the computer closet. We're going to use it to read the Star Report. Or at least the blowjob parts. Dial-up? Star Report? That came out. Oh. <gasps> I traveled us to 1998. Yeah, well, I have a strong guess which chat when you're related to. Let the adventures begin. It's going to be very obvious that I loved this part of the show. Oh, me too. 
where they walk into a young Dean Fogg's office. Not even Dean Fogg here, just a professor. In fact, he can't picture himself ever being Dean. I loved how playful Rick Worthy was as this character. And I watched a behind the scenes and he was talking about when he when they put on the wig and they shaped it and they put the mustache on. He all he saw was his father. Oh. And his father was like, send me pictures, send me pictures. What was really intriguing is it reminds me of myself and people I knew growing up, how when you're younger, you are filled with this happiness, this adventure in life. Everything is kind of new and exciting. And that's what you're seeing in that Dean Fogg. He's excited about magic. Magic, wow, this is fun. He's not drinking yet. There's a sparkle in his eyes and he's super helpful. I love that you're saying this. I was thinking the exact same thing. It's not the jaded version. We just got the complete opposite of this with Psycho Fog 17 when life circumstances take him all the way to the other end of the spectrum that we were wondering, is it even possible any version of Dean Fogg, no matter how bad the circumstances, would turn this bad? But this is a younger, wonder-filled Fogg. And yet he still manages to maintain that thing I love about the storyline. There's no surprise the minute they walk in. (laughs) This crazy story that they're telling him, they just traveled backwards from the year 2020, and he just jumps right in. Okay, tell me what's going on. What do I need to do? It's, you know, that's how Fog would react. So many moments were, were giggle moments in this episode. The way they walk into Dean Fogg's office. In ski masks? In ski masks. It's like, is this a fashion statement where you're from? And the way Arjun is talking through the mask, it's funny. I, I don't know. It's just, I, I enjoyed it. He says, I'm trying not to mess up the timeline, but Fogg's like, you know I still know. Exactly who you are, right? I mean, or I will because I'll recognize your voice. As you said, he's able to really help them. He gives them this machine, the time bridge, shows them how to change the temporal compass, and they do effectively travel, but this time even further back to 1920. Plum thinks if they can figure out what went wrong with the settings, then maybe they can fix it and get back. But they start to encounter other problems, such as racism. But even that was kind of played a little bit fun. I really like... I dare say. Yeah, I like the line that they walk here. They're bringing it up as a very real issue that would have occurred back then. We talk about time travel stories where that's not handled correctly. It's not even a thing. Mm -hmm. And you can't help but thinking to yourself, surely this would be a major problem. So it's given the weight it deserves. Penny and Plum do encounter all of these difficulties, yet it doesn't take center stage and pull you away from the plot line of the time travel story that they're trying to accomplish. I think it was definitely handled. Especially with Hyman. Like the way Penny reacts off of Hyman's just blatant racism and ignorance, I think made it softer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he thinks they're going to need help to get into the library and maybe there is someone. Hyman. He introduces himself and Plum as Penbrooke and Prune, (laughs) visiting mystics, Hyman assumes, And he's not very helpful, so Penny is forced to blackmail him with revealing his secret that Hyman is the pervert ghost of Breakbills. So Hyman takes them to the library, and they find out that while time bridges haven't officially been invented yet, he knows Professor Sato is working on them. In fact, in his lab, they discover he's just finished building one today. This is the moment that Penny and Plum realize it can't be a coincidence why they're traveling to these specific times. And Plum puts it together that she was holding two items when they left. One from 1998, the other from 1920. Oh, they're totems. 
remedial traveler students sometimes have trouble picturing their destination, so holding an object from that place can sometimes help. Okay, so that, but time instead of space. So I guess in order to get home... We need something for my time. For my time? I was going to say it. Even that scene had funny moments. I loved it. It's around this point that we started wondering, is there a plot hole here? Or are we just forgetting about something? Because this is Penny 23, and it was in fact Penny 40 who had the experiences the first time around with Hyman. So how would Penny 23 know who this is, the importance of maintaining that timeline the same way so that he will be there to help Penny, and thus Penny will be able to help save all of magic? Absolutely. This is one of the many times we paused and we had to discuss it. That's why we were so late on the poll. Sorry about that. And we were thinking, okay, so this Penny, Penny 23, is so forgiving of Hyman and his racism and his ignorance because he has an intimate memory with him. He saved his life, basically. And they've gone through adventures and he knows the new him or the real him, I guess you could say. He taught him how to be the Penny. But that wasn't Penny 23. Mm -hmm. So then we started to say, we remember in episode 411 last year, the 411, Penny 23 met Hyman. And we have to assume that that's when Penny knew about what happened. That's when he learned about what happened. But I would still argue that just the knowledge that his other Penny, Penny 40, went through these trials and tribulations with Hyman would not make you that forgiving at this point with this Hyman. Well, initially, his reaction is, in fact, to get very angry and go back at him. And Plum has to calm him down and tell him that's not going to get us anywhere right now. We need to play into this game a bit. No, he got mad at the principal, or I think the current dean. Yeah, that but he wasn't was, Hyman. He, he was also losing his temper a little bit with Hyman. Now, I had the same thoughts as you, and I went back to our notes from episode 411 when we had the return of Hyman the second time around. He says he's there back at Breakbills because Penny 40 changed his life. He tells Penny 23 the story that when Penny 40 died, Hyman needed to figure out what happened next in his own story. So he finally left Breakbills. Penny 40 had taught him how to be things. <laughs> so he knew how to do that. He witnessed the ritual with Julia when that took place and wants Penny to get together with her. He knows they both sacrificed their own joy to help others and it's time for them to be happy. So he was trying to pay it forward by helping Penny 23 out to have that relationship with Julia. Okay, so that's the memory Penny 23 has. And the way he was describing, I'm doing all of this because of this relationship I had with Penny 40, the fact that he changed my life, that moment was so important. Surely the first thing that comes into Penny 23's mind is... If it had that much of an impact, mm -hmm. this is a moment I can't change in history. It has to remain the same. But there's a snag in the plan. Hyman returns with the news that he's been expelled from the school for helping them and is about to leave break bills. Penny thinks this can't happen. He needs to be the one to trap him here. So he cons Hyman by enticing him to psychically eavesdrop on the fictional secret women's welters match that he just made up very that very clever. night. Once he leaves... Psychically, his mind leaves. Penny brings him back to the room where Plum is and says he thinks they need to kill him to secure this timeline. They need to make him the ghost. Um, hear me out on something. Yes, it's bad. Magic's at stake. Do I have to do the speech again? I stole this from Professor Sato's things. Stasis charm freezes the wearer in time. Plum, the body isn't supposed to be preserved. It's supposed to die. Who says? 
No one ever found his body. Maybe we were the ones who hid it in the first place. That's how time works. <laughs> how do you know? What matters is he'd still be trapped and still be on the astral plane. Unless it's a shitty hiding spot and Hyman finds it. Unless he doesn't and a hundred years from now we can fix him. What's the point of having this stupid ability for can't change anything? Who says there's a point? You are born with this shit and you spend the rest of your life trying to survive it. Okay? Let's go. You have it ripped away just when you figured out you wanted it. I am sorry your shit is broken, but the penny I've heard about wouldn't give a damn whether it fucks the future or not. He would do the right thing for his friend. I guess having your shit break changes a person. Okay. So what kind of person is New Penny going to be? This item they'll put around him that will trap him in this form. The exact kind of position he wound up in by being psychically separated from his body and then dying. Penny's reluctant, but he agrees. They put the charm on him and they stuff him into, it's not really a cabinet, whatever that little spot is. It's like a, a faux wall to the seat. Yeah. That people probably don't even know seat. is there. That I guess I'm assuming the, people won't know because they won't see the body. Well, I guess the problem is, what if somebody discovers that? What if they take the charm off? I, I can see Penny's line of thinking. Yeah. Will the body die eventually, or is it permanently stuck in stasis due to this charm? There's a lot of kind of question marks about that plan, but he clearly doesn't want to have to kill him either, so he's willing to go along with that. Absolutely, and I argue the opposite. And this is another thing I love about this episode. I argue this is what happened all, all along. Two seasons ago, when we met Hyman for the first time with Penny Forty, this obviously already happened in the past with Hyman. And I argue that it's timey-wimey. It was Penny 23 from the beginning who did this because of the future of Penny 40 needing it to happen. This was always the case. And we were none the wiser, neither was Hyman, neither was Penny 40, that Hyman's body was there all along, not dead, in stasis, and he still can be saved. Well, because Hyman does say something the first time he explains this along the lines of, I couldn't cast the way I needed to. I didn't know where my body had gone, so I wasn't able to get back to it. And I'm assuming that in mm -hmm. the time I was gone, my body just died. Yeah. I'm assuming that. So he doesn't really know. Exactly. So everything happened the way it was supposed to. I love it. Well, that still leaves them with the problem of how did they get back to 2020? But Penny realizes they do have something. When he dropped that plaque and the label came off of it, the label became a new thing. From that time frame, they can use it to return. Clatchers, when you watch... Because you know we're all going to rewatch The Magicians, right? When you watch that episode again, when Hyman's first introduced, the whole time guaranteed you're going to be looking around the background going, his body's right there. See right there at the edge? His body's right there, guys. Well, I love that this also, with the plaque situation, feels like a little nod to Quentin's discipline that he finally figured out in the end. Repair of minor objects. Yeah. And it's this minor object... That was broken. That was broken and created that got them back. Love it. It seems like it works. They travel back to current break bills, but are suddenly transported somewhere else against their will. This is what's been happening all season. When they travel and then come back or psychically leave and come back, the moment they're there, they're somehow able to be pulled back out against their will. And they're taken to this place, the room. And once they leave that room, they don't remember anything. And this room... I took a still of it. It's actually the cover photo of this episode for us. Is filled with figurines and 
trinkets and statues from all different timelines. We have Egyptian, we have Greek, we have a ram statue, which is kind of cool. Yeah. We have paintings. We have so many things from so many different timelines. What I'm thinking is, and again, I don't know shit for shit, but I'm thinking this is a room that the couple have. And that's how those get together. Those storylines intertwine. Um, Are they all totems? Maybe they're totems. That would allow them to travel to literally any point in history? Yeah, if they're travelers. I mean, obviously, we don't know. If Plum is able to travel and time travel, there's definitely other travelers out there that can time travel as well. Yeah, right. And I think what we've been experiencing since episode one of this season, None the Wiser, is the couple trying to find out where this page is by warping Penny in there, asking him questions, you know... What about this page? Do you know about it? Blah, blah, blah. Where is it? Realizing he doesn't know yet. Sending him back into the normal timeline, normal place, without a memory of what happened. Wiped away. So that hopefully he does learn about it. Then they bring him back again. Every so often they bring him and other travelers. But mainly this core group. Or at least that's what we know about. Um, And the last time Penny went, we saw him come back all beat up. I think they're getting desperate. And they actually... Beat him up a little well, bit are, to try to find out with, with yeah. Alice, and so, we see that we with Alice, like they're not. It's not something they're not willing to do, which is torture. Mm-hmm. So I think he was borderline tortured. He was beat up, but again sent back once they realize he doesn't know, and uh, wiped of his memory. Well, so that theory would mean they've been trapping travelers for a very long time in an attempt to track down this world seed. I don't know if they've been doing it for a while. I believe that when our magicians freed magic back up and now the surges i think that was an opportune time for the couple to do whatever they're doing well sure but why all these items throughout multiple points in history it's almost Uh, like a storage room well we know that they're looking for the seed maybe it's valuable i'm i'm guessing again uh, maybe they need these different timelines and different things that they really enjoy to help create the new world they want hmm Kind of like when That's I'm painting, possible. I like to use like if I'm going to paint grease, I'm going to I'm going to look at reference photos. That could definitely be. Who knows? Well, speaking of the couple, let's move on to storyline two: Alice and Katie. They go to see George, or so they think. This contact that maybe Katie has, who incidentally he wants to meet at the library. It all is a little bit fishy. As soon as they arrive, George says he's got to go find some other guy. <laughs> But as they wait, Zelda explains they are rebuilding the library. After her interaction with Alice, she realized she needed to change things. She started by healing hedges with Reed's mark, and they were so grateful they stayed to help. However, because this branch is kept running by specific spells, the improper casting by hedges, who don't have formal training, is causing malfunctions. Now I have to say, I was so disappointed when I found out that all of this wasn't true because I was really happy that Zelda had decided to return to the library. She found her way. Try to turn it all around. She wants our group's help to make it The hedges are now joining. (laughs) It was so great, right? But not true. Zelda, not Zelda, asks for their help with a difficult job. She says she pulled some highly dangerous volumes from the poison room in order to try to find a way to fix magic. So she would like Katie and Alice to take a crack at it. They start researching and deduce that they can make a new moon with this world seed that can create anything. 
in that book, which is the full instruction manual we had been speaking about that we were missing, they find that there is that missing page they have. So that book was real. Mm-hmm. The couple has that book, and that's why they're desperate to find but that page. missing the critical page. <laughs> that, I guess, Quentin at some time pulled out? Or somebody else took it, and Quentin got his hands on it? Or, in the end of this season, or near the end, when they finally do fix it, oh, this would be amazing. You ready for dream time? Mm-hmm. Dream time with Jason. Penny and Plum go back in time. Now she's got a grasp of what she's doing. Go back in time to Quentin. Here's Jason Ralph back just for this scene to give to him this in the past and say, hold on to this. You'll need it. Give him the missing page. Yep. In order to make sure that this all happens. It all works. Because it just feels so unlikely. How would Quentin get to the book in the poison room in the library before... We assume the time when the rest of the group starts their journey. He's been yeah. holding on to this thing. Rip a page out of it. Hold on to it. it. I don't know. It would be kind of bizarre. Yeah, but this would make sense. Mm-hmm. I like it. Well, it's about now that Alice starts thinking, this seems like the perfect solution. It's all too easy. In fact, it might be a con. She goes to confront Zelda to figure it out, saying she knows they must actually be on Earth because the magic glitches are happening during lunar intervals. It's then that George appears and reveals the truth. This is a psychic spell, like the Matrix, that he's trapped her in. Yes, they've done this 18 times, arriving at the same conclusion. So at an impasse, he brings her back to the real world, where she sees her and Katie are tied up in a warehouse. Or is it Katie? And Katie seemingly unconscious at this point. Alice wonders how she can know this is real. So he begins cutting off her fingers one at a time. Again, still could not be real. Really hard to watch. Ugh. Olivia Taylor Dudley's acting is amazing here. I mean, I'm having to turn my face away because I'm buying that she's in that much pain. And it's devastating, especially, as he says, to her being a phosphoromancer. She needs that to cast properly. Her whole identity has been wrapped up in her being this magician with a high level of talent and a very specific skill. Now, even if it is real, he says that if the spell is done in enough time, he can reattach the fingers. Yeah. How much time is that? Would he even do it? If these stakes are real, there's a lot on the line here. But that's not going to break her. She still won't tell him. Of course not. It's not until he threatens to kill Katie that she says, okay, okay, I agree. But when he turns his back, she sees that Katie is actually awake. And Katie mouths, thank you, which is reaffirmation to Alice to keep going with telling him. The more and more we talk about it, the more I think that's not really Katie. Hmm. It's a trap. This whole thing's (laughs) been a trap. Well, perhaps he's finally realized he can't get to her by threatening her well-being. He Mm -hmm. has to bring in somebody else she cares about. So this is the way to really trick her. I want to find out how he caught her. Yeah, and how in the hell does she actually get out of this? I'm very worried. And where is Hamish? Good question. Well, we leave it on a cliffhanger there for now. And we go to Margot and Fenn. As we're opening, they're escaping through the woods in Fillory and worried about the others. Margot left her fairy eye with Josh so she can keep an eye on him. So she knows he's okay and hiding out. But Julia and Elliot were captured. Margot and Fenn managed to evade the Centurions and return to Earth where they find Christopher Plover in their apartment. (laughs) 
Very timely. Disheveled and speaking seeming nonsense, Fen realizes he might actually be trying to tell them something about Fillory. Thank God for Fen yet again. Mm-hmm. Her and Margo, uh, she's been the level-headed one that's helping guide Margo. I think Fen has grown tremendously these past couple of years. Well, and they really need each other. They seem to make such a great pair because there are times where Margo needs to the heavy step hand. in and get aggressive to yeah. get things accomplished. But other times where the heavy hand needs to let go a little bit and when Fen's delicacy and her young view of the world helps. There's these times where she brings very necessary knowledge about Fillory, such as realizing Blubber has tongue twisters. So Margot calls her less than brilliant <laughs> doctor friend. He was funny. Who diagnoses him and says he can remove all of these thousands of insects. But it's going to take some time because each one has an energy meridian tether. It's like being possessed. Well, Margot isn't willing to wait that long. She comes up behind Plover and hits him with the ice axe while Fen traps the twisters in the container. Able to speak for the first time in centuries. But here we go. Again, a little bit of a throwback. Not as deep, but still throwback. It almost feels, and this might just be my brain playing with me, knowing that is that it is the final season. But now all these throwbacks feel even more important. So here's a throwback to Margot's ice axes. Love it. Well, and Christopher Plover coming in and consistently being able to give us that information about yeah. the Chatwins, the original story that we didn't know. Here he tells us the story about the Dark King. When he showed up, he heard all the same things about him that our group did. So curious, he sought him out, only to realize that I knew him. Oh, <gasps> you are good at telling stories. Now, in order to talk about who he is and where he actually came from, we need to look further back to a time before Martin Chatwin became the Beast. Really? Long before he discovered the Wellspring, Martin had another plan to make sure that he never got sent back to Earth. A conduit spell to tie himself to Fillory. We know it. The Dark King used it. Except we chopped down his tree. But there's an essential fact that perhaps you don't know about the trees of Fillory. You see, there are many, but in truth, only one. What kind of bullshit is that? Yeah. I mean, I'm Florian and I've never heard that. You see, the roots of the trees of Fillory intertwine such that they become one, not just with each other, but with the land. And anyone tied to that can't be killed by just chopping down a single tree or... Pff, even an entire forest. They can only be stopped by destroying all of Fillory. Wait, so you're saying Martin tried but screwed up or whatever? He was thwarted by someone heroic who knew what he could become. Martin's own brother, Rupert. Rupert Sebastian Chatwin. Oh my God, what a twist. You're such a naturalist. He realized that the only way to stop his brother was sacrifice. So he, he tied himself to the conduit before his brother could. When Martin discovered what had happened, well, he was furious. He couldn't kill his own brother, but he could curse him with eternal sleep. Well, the people of Fillory thought he was dead. But when our group brought back surges of magic so big to Fillory, it woke him up. He brought the takers, and when he held them back, the Fillorians made him high king. But Margot wonders, why did he do that? 
being so noble and Mm self-sacrificing, as soon as he comes back, he brings, he creates these takers. Why did he turn evil? Well, Plover explains while he slumbered, he lost the one thing he cared about, the man he loved. So this completely makes sense. Knowing the story of the Chatwins, we know that Martin, being the oldest, towards the end of their journeys in Fillory, was being asked back less and less than his siblings. Mm-hmm. And he loved Fillory, and he took it personal that he couldn't be there and couldn't stay there. So, of course... Plus, he didn't want to return to Earth where he was being abused by Plover. Yeah. yeah. So the thought of one of his first things he wanted to do was become one with Fillory so he couldn't be killed and couldn't be taken away anymore makes complete sense. Yeah, but Rupert seeing this is going to end so badly. He's Mm -hmm. really changed and he can't, on top of all of this power and evilness, now be tied inextricably to this land will be doomed. But we got a question from one of our clatchers, a write-in from Fontia saying, well, you guys were right about Sebastian being Rupert, but I still don't understand why that means he needs to keep creating takers. If he's a good king at heart or has good intentions, that should be enough. It feels like there has to be a reason he needed to create the takers to keep Fillory safe. She's wondering if he actually wanted to destroy all of Fillory so he could finally die. I still think it could go back to what we were initially saying. He needs the people to want him to remain king. Why? Because A, he really doesn't have a choice. He is tied to Fillory. And B, he needs the extra time to figure out, selfishly, how to get his love back. Yes, but he doesn't have to be king to do that. He'd still be alive out there. Well, it seems like A, he needed an extraordinary amount of power to accomplish what he wants to do to be able to get Lance back. And I think that's why he's been keeping our group of magicians around. He keeps saying... Oh, I could really use your help. You all seem to be very talented magicians. Mm. Well, what he actually wants their help with is bringing Lance back. We don't know. Where is he? How difficult is it on top of him being dead, which is already crazy that we're going to try to bring this guy back? So as we said, one part of it is propaganda. You manufacture an evil that only you can defeat so that the citizens want you to remain in power on kind of an endless loop to fight them for you. But I also think that it could still be a factor of them taking the fairies because there's an element of that magic that he needs as well. Yeah, I think that could be the case. I'm really loving the fact that he keeps getting more and more intriguing. This is the big bad we always talk about in all of our shows and on Patreon that the big bad has to be interesting, right? And this one definitely is interesting. It has multiple layers. And if these takers are being born from Fillory's Earth, That means they're being born from the same thing he's made of. Um, I keep going back to that scene where we see him fight the takers and then he's weak. Remember that? Mm -hmm. We're wondering, is he dying finally? Is what's, you know, does he need fairies to stay alive? Well, we know that is not the case anymore. He doesn't need that. But I think it actually hurts him to hurt Fillory. And when he's killing a taker and that many takers, it's actually depleting him for a little bit. Or similar to what you're saying, but it's because he's messing with the nature itself by how he's creating them, growing them up out of the ground, because he is linked to the land through the trees. I think this is going to be really complex, and we're probably going to keep finding out more about Rupert from now until the end. And I'm excited for that. To close out this story that Christopher Plover's telling us, he says, Fillory can never be free as long as the Dark King reigns. 
Rupert, who always disliked Plover, was the one that found him and cursed him with the tongue twisters. So finishing the story, Plover says, well, he plans to just leave and go write some more books now. But Margot's not going to let that happen. So she releases the tongue twisters back on him. Very Margot of you, Margot. <laughs> and I enjoyed it because he, re- he was ready to just bounce. He's done helping. Well, over to the second part of our group in the last storyline, Julia and Elliot. They were captured. And sitting in a dungeon, they wonder how Sebastian is still alive. Julia reveals her pregnancy to Elliot, but their conversation is interrupted when the king comes. He says he's not going to execute them because he needs their help. There's a communication spell that requires all three of them. So a few things. One, watching Penny this episode knowing that he still doesn't know was fun. Being like, you don't even know that she's pregnant yet, dude. That's crazy. Um, were those the beginnings of labor pains? What was she experiencing when they were hiking their way back and then in the dungeon a couple of times? She sort of looks out of breath and she's doubling over. Uh, kicking, maybe. Th- that's the uncomfortable part of the pregnancy phase towards the end where it's getting really big. It's moving a lot. Okay. It's and hard I'll, to, th- a lot of physical activity. Yeah, the hiking doesn't help. Mm. The other thing I wanted to bring up just real quick is I love Julia and Elliot together. Elliot really opens up with Julia. You can see the way he's talking to her. He's very sweet with her. He's not that sweet to anybody else in the crew. Well, and they do have a touching conversation where he tells her, despite everything that's going on, this is really great. (laughs) But privately, Elliot wonders to her, why would Sebastian bother to keep them alive after he uses them? Julia says... It's because she's sure he does care about Elliot, and he won't do that. As they recognize the messenger charm signal, she deduces that Sebastian, Rupert, wants to perform a seance, dangerous dark magic to contact someone who's been dead a long time. Now, these scenes are cutting back and forth, so as Plover is explaining, well, the reason Rupert is like this is because he lost his love. We see the Dark King performing the spell in order to communicate with Lance Morrison. Once again, Elliot is, Elliot's body is taken over by How someone. How many times so bad for him. is this now that he's been essentially possessed? Yeah, Lance speaks through Elliot's body. He thinks that Rupert abandoned him. He's really upset initially and said he almost gave up hope. But Rupert said he's been trying to get him back all of this time and he finally knows what to do. Lance should just wait by the door. He'll be able to leave soon. So where is the door? Is it the one at the end of the world that the monster was trapped behind? Is it a door in the underworld to try to bring him back from the dead? Oh, that would change it. I was going off of the thought that he was finally going to find a way to destroy Fillory and die to meet him at the door as like the gates. It seems like he's trying to gather a way. He's been searching for so long to perform big magic. Well, you need big magic to destroy a world, no? But or then again, we know that... bring someone back from the dead. Yeah, because then again, we see that how much he values Florians and Fillory, so... And he, he tells Lance, I've been trying all this time to figure out how to get you back, not how I can join you. Right. Hmm. So those are two potential big doors we've heard about, the door at the end of the world. And he needs the power from the fairies. Right. So that's why he's getting the fairies. Or the elevator door that we know when uh, people die. Penny 40. And, okay. Remember so that hold, when the door opens and there's Penny's face? Oh, yep. my God. And hold some thoughts on that till later. But it does bring up a lot of questions. 
Just to finish this off here, after this ritual is all done, Julia is, of course, really concerned. Is this going to do permanent damage to Elliot? He seems to be okay. Rupert asks how he's doing. He says it was never his intention to hurt him. I can't call him Sebastian now, by the way, now that Mm -hmm. I know that it's Rupert. Julia says she knows the pain of losing someone, but it's not an excuse to hurt people in order to bring them back. And he thinks very meanly, well, she must not have loved him that much, whoever she loved. She just doesn't understand. Oof. I feel bad for him still. Now knowing he's a Chatwin, now knowing what he sacrificed to fight the beast. He wasn't the beast yet. His older brother. Now knowing what he went through because of his older brother. Uh, Again, a part of me wants to reconcile this in an amicable way where you know he doesn't have to do something bad he's given up so much yeah Yeah, but is that really the magician no that's not you know well so that wraps up this episode and leaves us with a ton of questions most of which we've already mentioned where is the room that penny and plum are in which chat one is plum descended from is it in fact gene and will that matter will penny ever get his powers back what door is lance supposed to wait by is it going to matter that he's a McAllister? What do the couple want with the world seed? Where is Zelda? Will she come back to help? How will the library figure into all of this? What happened to Josh? Because he put the eye in his pocket. We didn't even discuss that. I like that part where she was keeping an eye on him. The more times we see fog in different versions, it makes me wonder, are we going to get our fog back? Also, I didn't know Jane had powers, time powers. I thought she was using the time magic to her benefit, but I didn't know she was actually like a time magician. I think she was using all of this time magic and the implements of Fillory. She was able to do so successfully because that was already her skill or ability as okay. a magician. That's one of the better ones, no? That's amazing. Scary, That's, Again, though. I feel bad for Quinn. It's like, you know, I'm going to travel back in time. I'm going to go see Elvis live. But um, before that, I broke my phone. Can you fix that, Quentin? Because that's what you're good at. (laughs) He was so depressed, by the way, when he found this out in the books, that it had been an ongoing secret. And when, I think it was Lipson, someone was about to reveal it to him, finally. And he starts thinking to myself, well, maybe I don't want to know. In my head, not knowing, I was able to say, maybe it's super rare. It's a talent nobody's ever discovered before. Mm. It's something cool, like Penny's psychic traveling abilities. And so when she tells him, he is let down. Yeah. After all that, it's kind of a disappointment. I mean, it would come in handy, but it's not as cool. He's also intrigued by it, though. So how small are small things? Like, if we get into a car accident, can I fix the car? Or is that too big? That's too too big? big. Yeah, she tells him that. That's horrible. (laughs) It's really minor objects. Before we move into our ratings, we wanted to talk about what's coming up next for CKC. First, to give you an outline of our continuing magicians coverage, we are going to be handling the last four episodes a little bit differently. We're going to be doing episodes 10 and 11 together in one podcast and 12 and 13 in another podcast. That means next week we will not have a new episode on the coverage for that. Okay, now, Clatchers, before you freak out, (laughs) we're going to tell you why, but also on the end of that, we're going to tell you that we have a surprise for you as well. So there is going to be something dropping next week. It just won't be episode 10 coverage. So in front of that, we're going to tell you that we also have a surprise. Okay, so (laughs) we're not going to tell you what, but there will be a Magicians podcast dropping next week, but it will not be about episode 10. It will be a special one, and we think you'll enjoy it. 
Now, really quick, why we're doing 10 and 11, 12 and 13 together. Well, that's because Westworld is starting. And we're not doing this because we like the magicians less than Westworld. We're doing it for multiple reasons, and I'll break them down for you. One, this podcast is a passion project of Christina and myself's. We've been doing it for a long time. Yes, at times it feels like a job because there's a lot of responsibility, but we need you guys to keep in mind that this isn't a moneymaker for us. We don't make any money on this. At all. (laughs) At all. But it is very time-consuming. Between watching the show, taking the notes, we have about 10 to 11 pages of notes for every episode. Recording it, and the recording time is longer than the actual edited version that you see. And editing it takes about four hours, believe it or not. It takes a lot to make me sound (laughs) semi-smart. The bottom line is that we want to bring you quality podcasts each time. And we also feel a responsibility to the listeners for Westworld. We are hoping that you will all join us over there. Those of you who are Westworld fans, if you haven't seen it yet, now is a great time to catch up. We're about to go into season three, and we found out that that's only going to be eight episodes long. So we're really on a time crunch over there. However, something tells me that we will have really great thorough coverage on the 10 and 11 and the 12 and 13 episodes. And most likely, once these seasons are finished, we're going to be returning for a bonus season slash series review of The Magicians. Again, the reason why we're doing it is because time. We just don't have time to do two shows at once, even though we are doing two shows at once, but we can't do it every week, and our Patreon podcast and keep the quality up. I hope my bosses aren't listening. To be completely honest with you, I am taking some days off of work. Okay. Okay. I want to try to keep it. Okay. And then also, and I can't promise this, but after Westworld ends, I want to do another, yet another podcast with the magicians. So don't unsubscribe. We are trying to get one of our, I'll just say it now, Arjun Gupta back on after Westworld so we can have like a closing talk with him. Maybe get the whole insight of his journey through his world of the magicians. So that's two potential additional episodes coming up after that. Make sure that you stay tuned to the Magicians channel. If you are so inclined, follow us over to Westworld. And if you just need more CKC, you can check out our Patreon page. That's coffeeclatchcrew.com. Go to the Patreon section. You can take a look at all three of our tiers, including Coffee Break, bonus episodes, and movie review coverage. Now, this isn't a way for Christina and myself to get rich. Actually, it's just a way for us to make enough money to keep the podcast going. We need new microphones. These are starting to go whack. But also it's a way for us to do something different with the podcast, not just a show review. The Coffee Break, it's so fun. It's laid back. We talk jokes. We talk about other shows we're watching, not as deep. We have Clatchers call in. We have big Clatcher sections. It's all about the Clatchers. I want to point out that we're a little bit more open about ourselves personally, including our relationship. Jason, some of our listeners had been with us a long time, so they already know this. But I think some people that are new don't realize that we're actually a couple. Mm. We got a review from somebody saying, man, it seems like the female host is really dismissive sometimes of the male host's ideas. She doesn't even pay him any attention. (laughs) And I don't think they quite know what our dynamic is, that sometimes we think it's funny when you tell a joke and I don't respond to it 
because your jokes are really corny. And that's just our fun banter, the dynamic that we've developed. But if you're part of Patreon, you get all of this behind the scenes stuff. In fact, Jason, you even proposed to me on a podcast episode that we released from Patreon over there. We're very interactive with our community. As we were mentioning, the Magicians viewers are just an amazing group of people. So we would love to keep you with us in one way or another. And these are all the different formats. You can continue to follow us. So if we could just get 50% of you guys to join us over there, join at the Coffee Break tier. That's $3, less than the cost of a cup of coffee. You won't even feel it, and you'll have CKC in your ears every month. And you'll know that you're helping Christine and myself out tremendously. All right, that's it. Let's get back to the show. On to our ratings for the episode. On a scale of 1 to 10 surges, what do you give episode 9? Well, looking at my grades for this year... This is by far going to be my highest. I'm going to go all the way up. I'm going to shoot to the moon with 8.9 surges. Absolutely loved this episode. Well, you're going to be shocked because normally you're the higher grader, but I'm going to give it a 9 surges. And I'm going 9.1 surges. you can't take it back now. You always go one (laughs) up from me. I truly loved this episode. I've been saying it from the beginning of the cast. It felt like a real return to form. I love the direction it's going. I am super sad that this could be the last season, but if so, I want to see the story wrapped up in a way that feels satisfying, and I have a lot of faith that they're going to do that. I can't wait to see where they go. And now we move on to our Clatchers and see what they have to say. Every week via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, we ask our Clatchers, who are your MVMs for this episode, and what are your thoughts? This week we gave you Penny and Plum, Alice and Katie, Margot and Fenn, Julia and Elliot. Coming in at last place. By the way, this is super tight. There's two hours left. The race is tight. Coming in at last place with 18.8% is Julia and Elliot. This was a difficult one. And as the season goes along, we say this every time, it gets harder and harder to vote. They had great scenes together. They were with the Dark King. We learned so much more with them. But in the end, our Clatchers didn't feel that they did enough. As you said, this is a close race. I think this is the most evenly distributed that all four nominees have been percentage-wise. Coming in third place with 22.9% were Alice and Katie. I think that while really interesting, if I had to take a guess, most viewers would be wondering how does this fit into the bigger picture? Plus the fact that a lot of it is still a mystery And while Alice was able to figure out the situation, it still wasn't a win. She maybe lost her fingers. We hope not. This might not even be Katie. It's looking pretty dire for that group. But a very interesting twist at the end. And I'm very curious to see what happens next. And in second place with 25% is Penny and Plum. It was my favorite part of this episode and one because Penny's my favorite character but also I love time travel I love the play I love seeing the young Dean Fogg I think it would be my dream if I could do anything is to travel through time um, but more like a fly on the wall where I can't be captured or anything or mess up the timeline yeah. that's always my fear and just see how everyone was you know see my parents when they were young see the sparkle in my father's eyes the youth sparkle things like that I think Penny and Plum play off of each other very well. 
And now they're stuck. I want to know what's happening. What's this room mean? Oh, well, and we're a little biased. But again, I could see from a viewer standpoint, while I think that was so interesting, how does it fit into the bigger picture? I do think all of these things will and they'll start to tie together soon. But I'm sure it might seem a bit disparate. Coming in first place with 33.3%. So that is the closest margin by far. Margot and Fenn. Now, this is the fourth time that Margot has won the polls this season for us. Once alone, twice grouped with Elliot, and now with Fenn. Although Elliot still holds the record with five wins. Well, Margot and Fenn managed to get out of the Fillory situation safely, and they are certainly gathering the most information here from Christopher Plover. It's an exposition drop, but yet again, when they do it with a character who is interesting to watch, despite the fact that he's bad in this universe, much like when we see the Binder talk, We don't mind that they're telling us a story. Let us know what's going on. It's fun for us to finally get some knowledge. And we mentioned before that the pairing is just brilliant. They're really well matched up together. It's a crazy dynamic to watch on screen. Let's see what our Clatchers had to say about this. Bert says, I have zero opinions. I am in mourning that the best show on TV is going to be done. Why? Oh, we feel you, Bert. But you have to enjoy what you're getting now that much more. Mm. Brian C. says, I don't want to add any spoilers so soon after the episode ended, but that last scene with Olivia Dudley brought the drama to a different, almost horror level. Absolutely, and I loved it. (laughs) Be Nice says, this show is making these choices really hard. Now knowing that every episode has to progress the story to the finale, some storylines seem to be more important than others, but it was great to see everyone on the canvas again. Penny and Plum are a great combination on screen. On the canvas again. I like that. (laughs) Adding the right amount of Penny's been here, done this attitude with Plum's what just happened sense of wonder. But their story didn't move the big picture along. Alice and Katie working on the seed was informative and loaded with potential story arcs that need to tie in to Fillory and the Dark King, or it risks being one more item that we will always have questions about. Fenn and Margot and Julia and Elliot were working two sides of the same issue the history of Sebastian. Summer Bischel wielding her axes is my happy place, and (laughs) Fenn's innocence while listening to the story was fun. But it is Julia and Elliot who get my vote. Being forced to hold a seance, knowing it's not going to end well, and just hoping they can control the mess it creates. Now we know the story of the Dark King more completely, along with his ultimate goal. He just wants to be loved. The holy crap that was amazing acting award once again goes to Hale Appleman as we see him play yet another character possessing Uh our Elliot. Where was Charlton when that was happening? Ooh, good question. That is a good... I didn't think about that. Please give Elliot some peace before we say goodbye. Oh, wait, but didn't Margot say Charlton went to his happy place for a little bit? He's had enough at the end of last episode. She said that, right? I could see that, but he still knows what's going on. I can't imagine that seeing Elliot in a time of such dire need, but maybe being possessed forced him to not be able to come out. Well, but that was right at the end. She said he's on a beach somewhere or something like that, remember? But he's always aware. He said when he was inside Elliot's mind, it's like watching it. Yeah, but you can turn it off. Maybe maybe he's like, I don't even want to. He can choose not to. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Brian says, I bet if you could have five choices, Hyman Cooper would have made the list. Was he MVM back in the episode Be the Penny? Let's check. Well, no, it went to Penny with 53%. But was he any of the MVM? No, not for that season. We had Elliot, Margot, Penny, Quentin, 
Harriet Katie and the Fairy Queen. I don't think we liked him at that point, to be honest with you, Brian. He, we weren't supposed to like him. He was great in the Be the Penny episode, but overall, he's, he's a little difficult sometimes, <laughs> right? Kelly says, I'm learning this season that in each episode, everyone could be the MVM. They are all bringing something to the table. Can we just have an everyone option next week? Hey, you want it? We can give it to you. <laughs> Trees and Snow says, Penny did draw an impressive circle, but my vote is for Margot and Fenn. They got good info from Plover and sent him on a fate he deserves, not being able to use words, which was his only real point of pride in life. Trees and Snow noticed the circle as well, so we're not crazy. I thought the fact that I was dwelling on how perfect that circle was was weird, but it looks like no. Other yeah, people no. saw that too. <laughs> the Viking says, Summer Bischel and, and Brittany Curran definitely were the MVMs. Top-notch performances by both actors as they uncovered the Dark King's origins. Courtney says, was going to vote for Penny and Plum until the end. Can I vote for Alice's fingers? Yikes. Yikes. And Brian says, Penny has had both of his hands cut off twice, yet the scene with Alice's fingers was so much more intense. I don't know if it was because we couldn't see what was happening or because Penny's stuff touchers were used for comic relief, but I almost had to skip over it. I think... Because you can kind of feel it. Those are both factors. You feel it in your bones. And finally, Sprocket says, weirdly, not a lot got accomplished in this episode. Mostly things were happening to our heroes that they didn't have much chance to plan or act, except for Penny and Plum. Visiting mystics, love it. Clatchers, we just wanted to remind you, because we, we haven't gotten phone calls with this show specifically, and I think that's a first. You can always call us, ckc.6606, that's 252-368-6606. Call us, leave a message saying exactly what you wrote. It just adds another voice to the cast. It really, it's, it's fun to listen to our Clatchers talk passionately about their show. So give us a call. So Jason, who is your MVM for this episode? Well, I think the Clatchers know by now. It's Penny and Plum. Copycat. Oh, you're doing the same thing? Of course I am. It's no secret that this is the storyline we enjoyed the most this episode. While I do love all the other choices, and I agree, it's a very close race. It could have gone to any of them for various reasons. I do think they actually got a lot of wins here. Mm -hmm. They were stuck in multiple difficult situations, but managed to figure out a way to get back to the present. And then ultimately got to the place they did want to travel to, which was the room, as scary as that is. So maybe we're finally going to get some more information. Plus, I just love some Penny. (laughs) We have two more sections. The first is our closer look, which this week is about, who else? Rupert Sebastian Chatwin. As we mentioned in the show, they follow the same plot as the books that once the children reach a certain age, Fillory no longer accepts them. So for Rupert, after that happened, he was drafted into the British Army in 1939 and deployed to North Africa as part of the 7th Armored Division, where he fought and petitioned Ember and Umber for power during the Battle of the Bulge in 1945, allowing him to use the Reinemann Ultra spell to win World War II. In that version, the TV version, he just came back with a limp. He did make it through all of that. At some point, he then retrieved the truth key in order to reveal his real feelings to Lance. In the most recent mention of him before this, we hear talks of him returning to Fillory to fight his brother Martin, and that's when we see the gravestone leading the audience to believe he died fighting him. Now, in the books, Rupert Chatwin was author of The Door in the Page and also the great-grandfather of Plum. He features in The Girl Who Told Time, The Flying Forest, and The Secret Sea. 
He witnessed Martin giving his humanity to Umber in Castle Blackspire, after which he stole a spell and a knife capable of killing gods. Remember that god-killing knife? (laughs) He left the spell, knife, and a memoir called The Door in the Page in a briefcase that could only be opened by one of his descendants before he was killed in World War II. So in that version in the books, his time actually ended during that battle. And he left all of those things in a box that only one of his descendants could access. So I wonder if he still did that in the show, if that's a thing that could come into play. I think they could fit that in. Yeah, I mean, it probably wouldn't have the God-killing knife because we've already seen that, but it could have some other interesting things. Okay, I have to put in this note that earlier this episode, I said Martin was the oldest. That was in the books. It looks like in the show, Rupert is the oldest of the Chatwins. Yeah, I had forgot that. I guess that's why Fillory stopped accepting him first, and then he went off to fight the war. Okay. Because he was the first one to sort of not be able to do that. Now, I don't remember how he was able to get back in order to fight Martin, or if that was ever revealed to us. I didn't read that far. Because he came back after the war in our TV version history in order to go up against Martin. And we might never hear that point, But yeah, you're definitely thinking of the books because Martin was, in fact, the eldest in the books. Well, our final segment is the spoiler section. So if you are afraid of that, we will see you in two weeks when we review episodes 10 and 11. But we will see you in the past, in the future. (laughs) And what I mean by that is we have already recorded what you will hear next week. So we will see you next week. The special episode will be released at that time. Let's not get confusing. But also... As we're talking about releases, this weekend we will be releasing our Patreon bonus for March. And get ready because it's a fun ride. It's titled, Who Are You? (laughs) And Why? For those of you still here, let's get into our spoiler section. We know that next episode, episode 10, is titled Purgatory, which is quite ominous. We hear Julia saying, I can't believe I thought I could fix this. I screwed magic on Earth and screwed us here. We're going to die. Oh, boy. We are really in bad circumstances. And then the kicker, Penny Forty comes on and says, I should get the bad news out of the way. I can't wait. My Penny is back. (laughs) You know, throughout this episode, I was thinking, man, I think I finally overcome that bias that I can't quite care as much about twenty. Penny 23, because Penny 40 is still our Penny. But I've been starting to become endeared to him and really enjoy this journey he's going on, everyone they've been pairing him with this season. And I was thinking, yeah, this is really good. I do like him as much until the moment that Penny 40 came back. And then I said, no, no, I don't. I really love Penny 40. I'm going to be so happy to see him back, even if it is brief, and to find out what are we doing there? Why are we going to the underworld? Why are we talking to him? That is what makes me think that perhaps the door they're talking about could be the door in the underworld. But of course, I don't think then he would be saying this is bad news because Lance is already dead. It's like he's greeting somebody who just died the way he did with Quentin. Does another one of our characters die? Are they already dead? And we just don't know it at the end of this episode. We see that everything that Alice was going through was an illusion We don't know if Katie was actually even there. Holy shnikes. We wind off in potentially a bad place for Julia and Elliot. I mean, they still still did attempt to assassinate the king. Did that possession do something worse to Elliot than we know? There are so many things that it could be. I really hope it's not one of our main group. 
Or maybe it's Quentin. Quentin's like, what's up? What's going on? Well, let me tell you the bad news. Your friends are in trouble. And you know what? We need to bring you back. No, stop <laughs> teasing people. Well, after that, episode 11 is titled Be the Hymen. So we haven't seen the end of Hyman Cooper. No, we have not. I and I know. wonder how that comes. Oh, well, no, I know. Now we know that that body's there. So that in present time, they're going to go to the body and wake him up. Maybe. I don't know how that works. Can they do Magically. that? Magically. I don't know. That's going to be interesting. I can't wait. I'm excited. It's going to be weird not talking about it for a week, though. Well, also in the descriptor, so you know that we normally don't get much information. It's usually about some type of food item. Purgatory says Margot learns to project and Josh goes to the spa. Be the Hyman says slap fight, but also dreams are weird. So episode 11, I would caution us to go into it with some skepticism. Is one of the things we're going to see on screen actually a dream? Mm. And then finally, we know episode 12, that's going to be the musical, is titled The Balls and includes Alice writes a letter we couldn't get prints. <laughs> <laughs> and the finale is titled Fillery and Further. Of course. Of course it is. The swan song. Well, it's time to put the magic away for one more week. Clatchers, as always, thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Tell your friends about us. Join us on Patreon, even for a month. It won't break your bank. It won't break your bank. Clatchers, if you want to help us out, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Just like the one we received from, like, Tannis Shelf Elvin, I think, who is Peaches and Plums. Thank you for sending us that review so we can see it. It says, I love this podcast. Jason and Christina work so well together. Their episode discussions are always insightful and entertaining. Highly recommend. Give it a listen. You certainly won't regret it. Thank you, Peaches and Plums. We appreciate it so much. You have no idea. Well, our time is up, and we'll see you soon. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me!